UFC 274 post fight thoughts. Dun, dun, dun. Hey guys, Fight Junkie here. As usual, before we jump into this next episode, I want to remind you guys, you can hit me up on Twitter at FightJunkie.com. Follow me on Parlor at FightJunkie. Listen to me on Anchor, Spotify, Google, Apple, Amazon. Basically, anywhere you can find a podcast, I'll be there. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel. Oh, wait. Hold up. Scratch that. YouTube deleted my channel. Um, let me think. Okay. I got it. You can also subscribe to the Rumble channel. Rumble.com slash Fight Junkie. Want live stream? Twitch.tv slash Real Fight Junkie. Ovent St. Prue versus Mauricio Hua. St. Prue wins inside. You lose. Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson. Ferguson wins inside. You lose. Also, Chandler wins by decision. You lose. Rose Namayunes versus Carla Esparza. Carla Esparza. Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje. Oliveira wins inside. All right, quite a bit to talk about here. The first is St. Prue and Hua, and we're not even going to talk about that. It was so freaking terrible. I would have been happy if it was declared a draw and both fighters were forced to retire. Nuff said. Horrible. Chandler Ferguson. This one we thought Ferguson on the feet. Chandler would be able to wrestle. So that's why you hear the Ferguson wins inside versus the Chandler wins by decision. Because with the odds the way they were at the time of the podcast, you could play both of those and you would have came out a win and win a chicken dinner if either one of them hit. Unfortunately, a stanky foot to the face, not Ferguson out on the feet. So both of them went bye bye. First round, Ferguson was doing well, really well. Hurt uh, Chandler a couple of times, dropped him. Chandler immediately went to the wrestling after that. That was not a surprise whatsoever. He had some good ground and pound, was able to cut Tony over the eye. Tony was fighting well off his back. Not a lot of submission threats, to be honest with you. Again, crazy that I thought he would be a submission threat against Habib. Just, what the hell was I thinking? Uh, But it looked like we were in for this type of fight. Like, okay, if Ferguson could keep it on the feet, he's got a chance here. And if Chandler gets him down, he's going to be in trouble. Again, that's how we cap this fight going into it. Again, you can check, double check, triple check everything I'm telling you in the pre-fight podcast. That's how we cap this was Ferguson would be live and have a legitimate shot at knocking Chandler out on the feet. Again, we've questioned Chandler's durability in the past. He was able to get by with Gaethje for three rounds. He was able to overcome Ferguson again. I still question it. Like, he's tough. He's game. He's skilled. He's got power. He can wrestle. But I still question his ability to absorb the shots. So, 
We thought Ferguson had a shot there if he was able to keep it on the feet. Most people didn't think that he'd be able to take the power of Chandler. He did all right in that regard until the foot hit him straight on the chin like an uppercut. Like that thing, Chandler threw that foot, the front kick, like an uppercut. It just boom shakalaka and Tony was not only down but out cold. I mean, I'm talking like Apollo Creed cold. He didn't move, like, for a while. Kind of scary the way he went out, but, man, was it beautiful. Again, I like to give credit where credit is due, regardless of what side I am on, and that was beautiful. Impressive kick. Timed perfectly. Way better, in my opinion, than Anderson Silva against Vitor Belfort. Way better. I don't know if it's the way Tony went out. I mean... Anderson's was impressive, but this one just, it was just time. I mean, it was unbelievable. The power, like when Anderson hit uh, Vitor, like it landed and he kind of crumpled to his knees and stuff, but it didn't seem to have this whipping effect like, like Chandler's, like I said, like it was an uppercut from hell. It just boom. And I mean, wow, nobody was going to survive that kick. And it came out of nowhere. I mean, after the first round and then Tony comes out and is doing his weird, you know, moving and hands down. And I was not expecting that kick. He certainly was not expecting that kick. And what an impressive end to what was an entertaining fight. Of course, we would have liked to seen if Tony was going to be able to have a little more success in the second round on the feet and not take the feet to the face. But... Nevertheless, impressive win from Chandler, who called out the money man still for some reason. Conor McGregor even said he'd go up to 170. I gotta be honest with you guys. It's the same thing with the main event. Like, you know, the the whole issue, we'll get into that with the scales and stuff with Oliver. But man, this guy, freaking Conor McGregor, is just hanging around. What's it been? Two and a half years since the dude's won? Like, damn, it's just, it's really kind of annoying at this point that you see all the social media posts and the yachts and his slow ass training he looks like he's 190 pounds like will he even make 170 like and that he's still you know in line like to skip everything and just go in for huge money fights or huge title fights or i mean it's just it's just really ridiculous like this guy doesn't have to play by the rules. Certainly, we know that's how it is in not only the UFC, but in life, it's that way in boxing. But it's just kind of annoying at this point. Like, the whole thing was cool when he was calling his shots and beating these guys and doing what he said he was gonna. But it just gets old and tired and stanky when you're losing fight after fight after fight and then you're fighting very infrequently and then when you do fight you lose and then you act like you didn't lose and oh that just goes on and on and on so apparently McGregor is still in the mix I mean I guess as long as he can draw and Daddy Dana's around, he's probably going to be in the mix until he's 70 years old, apparently. But, okay, on we go. I really should not even talk about this fight like I did with uh, St. Pru and Hua. Nama Yunez and Esparza. The only reason I want to talk about this is to throw 100% shade at Nama Yunez and her corner, her team, the way 
they thought that this was an excellent game plan to beat Esparza and retain the title. I actually thought it was hilarious that she lost the fight. I'm being real. Like, even though I was on Esparza, I wanted Esparza to win the fight. But the way that Namayunas fought that fight and the way she approached it from the first second to the last second of that fight was disgusting. I don't care what people want to say about tactics or game plan or whatever. You're just making excuses for a terrible fight, a terrible game plan, and a terrible corner. I'm sorry, and I respect those guys and what they've done with Rose, but I have said it from the beginning. I think Rose Namayunas has mental issues, and that's why she continuously comes out, says, I'm the best, 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 I'm the best. I'm the best. I'm the best. It's because she has to pump herself up. I've said it before. She's mentally broken in fights. I've said it before that she has mental issues with her confidence. And this is why she does what she does. And I think you saw her crack in a different way again under the pressure of knowing that she's fought Carla before. And Carla not only beat her, but she finished her. There is no reason whatsoever at this stage of the game... That Rose and her team would come up with such a ridiculous game plan against Esparza when we all knew going in that she was the better striker. And even when the times Esparza shot and got her down, Esparza wasn't having tremendous success keeping her there. Why the hell are you so afraid to engage with Esparza? Was the threat of the wrestling always going to be there? Of course. Could Esparza take you down? Uh, yes. This is what I'm talking about with Rose. She is hit or miss, and it's why I liked Wei Lee against her in both fights. The first fight was, I mean, boom, right out of the gate, right? We're talking about kicks. Boom, kick, down, Wei Lee, out. In the second fight, I thought Wei Lee had an opportunity to win the fight against Rose, and she gave it away at the end. But it, it there was the opportunity was there, and she was able to take Rose down, kind of switch it up a little bit, and and control Rose on the ground. So I thought heading into this fight, well, Asparza was a way better wrestler than Rose, and if Wei Lee was able to not only get her down but control her, what's going to happen with Asparza? Well, apparently Rose was thinking the same damn thing because she was frightened to engage with Carla Asparza. That's the only way you can describe it. There is no legit game plan on earth that would call for you basically doing nothing for five rounds and expect to keep the title. In fact, the one judge that gave it to Rose should be fired, should never work again, ever. Because, in my opinion, there is no way in hell that you can give that fight to Rose Namajunas. No way, shape, or form. And that's not to say that Carla was on fire, a little firecracker out there just dump. No, no. But what I'm saying is Rose refused to engage. At least Carla walked forward, landed a leg kick, shot a couple takedowns. Like, yes, this is what we're going for in the entirety of the fight. Like, the punch stat numbers were almost even. I mean, it was so ridiculous. I can't even believe I'm talking about this. In a five-round title fight that she literally gave up the title. I don't think Carla Esparza snatched the title. I think Rose Namajunas gave up the title. Esparza was trying to make the fight, and that basically 
allowed her to take the title. I mean, I cannot recall a fight like this in a title fight where five full rounds, the champion does not even look like she wants to be there. Like, and then the absurdity of the way that not only she was acting at the end of the fight, raising her arms and acting like she's Billy Badass and giving uh, Asparza stanky mad dog looks in between the rounds after the round is over. And I'm like, you never, you didn't even land a punch or a kick. Like, are you delusional? What are you, are you at home playing a video game in your mind? Cause uh, what you're seeing and what you're doing and what you're thinking are all different things. But then her corner, I mean, they're literally over there saying, yeah, this is what you're supposed to do. And you hear the crowd booing. Yeah, this is what we want. I mean, this this has to go down as one of the most absurd game plans and cornering I've ever seen in my life, including boxing. Like, this might be as bad as, like, this is going to date me here, but when Oliver McCall fought Lennox Lewis in a boxing match in the rematch, and he broke down in the ring and cried... And eventually they had to stop the fight. Like Lennox was hammering his face in. The guy was turning his back. Literal cries. Like he had a mental breakdown in the boxing ring and they had to stop the fight. He wouldn't throw any punches. Like Lennox can crack, but McCall had an iron chin. And Lewis wasn't putting him down. He wasn't putting him out. He was kind of dumbfounded. Like what the hell is going on? And like he, it went on for a couple rounds. Like it didn't just stop. Like he'd go back to his corner, he's crying and having a mental breakdown. <laughs> They'd send him back out. If you haven't seen that, go look at it. I'm sure it's online. Lennox Lewis versus Oliver McCall two, the rematch, Crying Gate. Like he just breaks down mentally, in the ring and starts bawling. It was the most. And he had won the first fight. That's why they had their second fight. He had knocked Lennox out in an upset. So. I mean, it's just absurd. This this ranks up there with the absurdity because, granted, if Rose just froze and was f- afraid of Asparza being able to take her down and maybe finish her and she had a mental breakdown, like I think that she's prone to do, okay, that happens. But when you combine that with the corner over there cheerleading, the non-action, and expecting that she's going to win the title... How do you get those two things combined? Like, it is so strange. I would watch that fight back, not for the action or lack of, but just to see how ridiculous her corner was. Like, Pat Berry, her boyfriend, was literally championing her that this is what she was supposed to do. It's what they trained to to do and that the booing, you know, was a good thing and that was meaning that their game plan was working A++. I don't know. I think, I mean, Donald Cerrone was supposed to fight on the car. He got food poisoning. I think they got something else. Like they were smoking something or they walked by a a, a lounge or they were doing something because everybody was off, off their mark. Like they're off their rockers here to think that, A, this is what they trained to do. Did they train to do this in the fight? Like just run around? Why would you even train in MMA? Like just run around. The octagon, like in the training room, just run around the octagon and be like, I'm thinking to myself, like, what do they got? They they paid these judges off? Like, how, how the hell could you be so happy not landing anything, not doing anything, 
for five rounds and think that you legitimately won the fight unless there was a little shady something, something, something on the side going on. I'm like, is this really going to happen? Like, is she really going to land no punches and no kicks, do nothing for five rounds and retain the title? And then I'm thinking, uh, that can't happen. Like, that cannot legitimately happen. Like, if you have to score this fight in a 10-9 fashion, if there has to be a winner, it's got to be Esparza. Fortunately, she was able to get the win. Again, didn't like the one judge. They must have been in the camp with Barry going, oh, this is tremendous because I don't even know how you could score that fight for Rose. But the one judge, uh, another judge had, a, I think, a four rounds to one for Esparza. You could say that was wide, but if anybody won four rounds in the fight, it was Esparza. So, I mean, that was just trash. Hot garbage trash. I don't want to see a rematch, and I don't think Rose deserves it, to be honest with you, because she was a champion going in. She's the one who supposedly called for the Esparza rematch, and I'm going to get my revenge, and la, 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 la. Well, Cookie Monster just ate her ass up because if anybody looked like they were there to fight for the title and win the title and wanted the title and wanted to be called champ, it's Carla Esparza. And I will hang my hat on Rose Namajunas having mental issues time and time and time again until she proves me wrong. A lot of people were saying, oh, she's over that hump. A lot of people were pointing to the, the Wei Lee fights going, I see, I see. Everybody that talked trash about Rose and, and mentally breaking and not wanting the, the pressure of being a champion, she's over that. Well, I call your bluff because I don't think she's over it, and I think she proved that tonight. She folded against Andrade when they fought, and then after the fight was happy that she lost the fight and, and with the pressure of being a champion. You had the McGregor incident on the bush where she went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs with all that that was going on. And now you had this fight against Carla Esparza where she just, I don't know, went totally blank, like mentally blank, didn't perform at all. And somehow, someway, was aided and abetted by her corner. That's probably the worst of it, if I'm being honest with you. Listen, many fighters have stress and anxiety and issues they have to overcome. And they see sports psychologists and therapists and all this stuff. It's not uncommon. So I'm not throwing shade on Rose for that. What I'm saying is, if she has these issues going in, it's very, very difficult to always back her. I've talked about this before. Especially now as she's won some fights, got the title back, and now is a favorite most of the time. I think in certain circumstances you can break her. In fact, I thought Andrade in the rematch was starting to break her, but it was only a three-round fight. In a five-round fight, I think Andrade would have broke her. This is just something I see in Rose. I could be totally wrong, but that's the way I see it. But for her corner to encourage her to continue to fight that way and then she loses the title i mean how the hell can you excuse that i personally can't charles olivera this one might get a little deep scale gate what the hell is going on with that well initially when he missed weight, everyone was like, this is the fifth time he's missed weight. I'm like, if this dude can't make 155 and he loses his title, he needs to move up straight away to 170. Like, how can you allow this to happen? 
Then as the time went by, it started coming out. Other fighters were saying, no, the scales are off. And then I think it was Matt Schnell who came out and posted on Instagram that said the scales were off. We were told that they were off and we were told to cut extra weight. Like that should never in a million years happen in a professional fight, especially at the UFC level. I don't know what is going on with the Arizona Commission, but that was unacceptable in fact you had some sports lawyers come out after the fact as well and say that arizona wasn't following their own legislative bylines like with the amount of time between the weigh-ins and not allowing charles Oliveira actually two hours to make weight if a fighter misses weight there's a whole bunch of things you can go down the rabbit hole and look on on my timeline on my socials I've retweeted and talked about all of these issues, but it seems like there was certainly something going on with the scales and that Oliveira could have potentially A, not missed weight, or B, should have been given more time to make weight at the very least. So it seemed like going into this fight, like he got a absolute raw deal. Now, if you don't believe it, that's fine. If you believe it, that's fine. But the fact of the matter is when that happened, the line shifted. So then the money started coming in on Gaethje. I stuck to my guns. You could have looked for a hedge at that point. I don't think the numbers would have worked. Like Charles didn't look very good on the scale. So you could have made the case that he legitimately missed. He doesn't look very good. He can't make 155. And so people thought that and the money shifted to Gaethje. And that turned out to be flat ass wrong. When I saw him at the ceremonial weigh-in, I knew that Charles was all right as far as the weight goes. And it led more credence to me and what I was saying with the whole issues with the scales and all that other stuff. I personally believe that Charles made weight. I think there was issues and I think fighters knew there was issues. I wouldn't be surprised if you hear about it later on. I'm not sure if Charles and his team is going to push it and press it and go that route because uh, Daddy Dana is saying that he's the number one contender, so whoever he fights next is going to be for the title. That may be good enough for Charles. I'm not sure. For me, it wouldn't be. I'd try to get it overturned, but, I mean, we know how that goes. Generally, that doesn't happen, so... And do you want to anger the UFC? These are all issues that he has to look into. So if he doesn't press the issue and they just let it slide, I understand. But the money came in on Justin Gaethje. And in our pre-fight podcast, again, you can check, double check, triple check everything I'm talking about. We we just thought Charles Oliveira was the better fighter. Like he's the better, well-rounded fighter. And we even mentioned don't sleep on his striking. And what did he do? Straight out of the gate, man, he stuns Gaethje, and then ultimately the the submission came from him dropping Gaethje where? On the feet. Like, people sleep on this kid. Like, yeah, Gaethje, Gaethje hurt him, Gaethje dropped him, but Gaethje didn't want none of that heat on the ground. And so it allowed Charles Oliveira to what? Recover. And what did we say in our pre-fight podcast? If you let Charles Oliveira off the hook, you are risking losing the fight each and every time you do it. Gaethje is another example. Chandler just did it himself. You cannot let this kid off the hook because if you do, he will find a way to win the fight. This is 11 in a row and he proved it again. Don't let Charles Oliveira out of bad positions because if you do, more likely than not, you're going to lose the fight. 
I was so happy for Charles to win this fight. You had all the issues with the scale. He had posted it was either hours before the weigh-in or an actual day before the weigh-in that he had made weight. He posted it on his socials and everybody's cracking on him and saying, oh, you got this wrong and blah, 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 blah. And, oh, Gaethje's going to crush his soul. And, you know, how can you be so unprofessional? This is the fifth time you haven't made weight. And on and on and on and on it totally disregarded the issues that the other fighters were saying and Gaethje was kind of coming out being like oh it's just the Brazilians that are talking about this issues with the scale and I made weight and he better make it and I'm already 164 pounds and that's just the name of the game and I'm gonna punch a hole in his face and he's a quitter well how did that work out for you young man I guess tapping isn't considered quitting um I mentioned that in the pre-fight podcast. He had tapped to Habib, and now he tapped to Oliveira, but he called Oliveira a quitter? I don't know what's going on there. But I was happy for Charles. I really was. Like, of course, I was on him. Of course, I liked the stoppage because we had him inside. But I I just think he's still underrated. It's, It's really stunning to me that people would still underrate him. Overall, just his ability, like even in a striker, you know, everyone considered that Gaethje was the better striker in the match. And I'm like, don't be surprised, man. Don't be surprised if if Oliver is the one pushing the fight. In fact, I was like, whoa, whoa, pump your brakes, boy. (laughs) Like, pump your brakes. You're getting a little too crazy going after Gaethje. Because, of course, there is the threat. And we saw that. And he was hurt and he was dropped. I was like... Come on, you're a technical striker. Slow it down. You can touch Gaethje. You can hurt Gaethje. That was already proven. I'm like, just touch him. Just touch him. Your technique is better. Just touch him. You have more tools. You could kick. You're good in the clinch. Like, of course, the submission game is off the charts. Like, you will get to him. Just (laughs) slow it down. And he was able to, he was able to, after the last couple of times he got hurt, he was like, okay, okay. I'm risking a little too much. Let me slow my row a little bit. And then he started to slow his game down. Still technical. Staying from the outside. Touching him. Touching him. Boom. Lands a long shot from the outside. Drops Gaethje. Now we're on the ground. It's his world. It was a matter of time. Too much time in a round. Gaethje doesn't have that type of submission defense. We talked about it in the pre-fight podcast. I hope. I pray you guys listen to me. Because I do this for fun. I love the sports. I try to help you out. I give you my honest opinions. I'm not always right, of course. You can see that in this card. But I hope that you find opportunities that we can get on the same page, that you can at least understand where I'm coming from. And even if you don't like the way I'm going, I always try to give you a hedge, try to make a case for the other guy, how I would see it winning. How I would see them winning. Same thing with Gaethje. When you're looking at lines, it's important. When you're looking at props, you know, it's, it's important to understand what you're looking at and where the value is, especially like with Gaethje. I said, don't bother taking Gaethje straight. If he wins, it's going to be inside, right? Like he can try this patient. I'm going to stay on the, I'm going to stay on the back foot. Like he tried with Oliveira, like he tried against Chandler. But with Oliveira, I said he will push the fight and at some point it's going to pop off. And that's exactly what happened because he was never going to allow Gaethje to just sit on the outside, leg kick him and move around and try for a points win or to walk Charles into a single shot here and there. Oliveira would put that pressure on. And I've known that because we've watched Oliveira. We know what he's able to do. We understand where where his strengths are, where his weaknesses are. And when you match these two guys up stylistically, Charles Oliveira is the better fighter. He proved that tonight. Even getting hurt and getting dropped, he proved he is the much, in my opinion, better fighter than Justin Gaethje. 
And when it got into his world, it was, I mean, that's a no-brainer. But even on the feet, I thought that Oliveira could hang with Gaethje. There's danger. But I knew he could hang with him. Just couldn't get over-aggressive. And in the beginning, I thought, oh, man, he's pissed. Like, it looked like he was, right? Comes out, just chasing Gaethje down. And I'm like, okay, be careful here because I knew Gaethje was going to try to run him into a shot. And he was able to do it a couple of times. Fortunately, Charles Oliveira had enough wits about him to go, okay, I'm going to slow this down just a little bit. And that's all he needed to do. You can still put the pressure on, but he was putting it on like almost reckless. He could still put the pressure on, but it had to be smart. It had to be behind his technique. And once he did that, it opened up the shot. And once he got on top of Gaethje with that much time left, that was all she wrote. Really happy for Charles couldn't I mean it couldn't have ended better for him other than not getting hit with a couple of those shots and knocked down but overall I mean you've got to be really impressed with Charles his performance what he had to overcome with the scales you know getting the title stripped being the number one contender I'm not sure if he's going to fight Islam next if uh, Daddy Dana's going to try to throw Connor in there I don't even know if Connor could make 155 pounds I mean seriously I don't even know but, I mean, it looks like Charles is going to be able to fight for the belt in the next fight. Obviously, that's not, you know, the, the best case scenario that you were hoping for. You hoped that Charles would have made weight, whatever was going on there. He would have been able to defend the title. He'd obviously still be the champion going into the next fight because they have issues, right? You have issues with fighter pay. You have issues with pay for, pay-per-view points and all that stuff. Like. I mean, is he going to get gypped out of that stuff now because technically the title is vacant? I mean, that's just it just seems on the surface wrong. So I'm happy for Charles. I'm happy that he was able to get the finish. And in reality, other than those couple of shots that Gaethje landed against Charles, I mean, it pretty much was domination. I bet you a lot of people didn't listen to my podcast. I bet you a lot of people overlooked Charles Oliveira's ability. I bet you a lot of people said he can't strike with Justin Gaethje. And I bet you a lot of people picked Justin Gaethje wins by KO. And I bet you a lot of people are pissed and burning their tickets and flushing them down the toilet right now because they should have listened to the Fight Junkie podcast and rode with Charles Olivera. That's it for this episode of Fight Junkie. I will suck it to you tomorrow, baby. Fight Junkie out.